I came to work thinking, how terrible is this shift going to be? And the only way to really make it better, I'm going to make sure everybody around me has a great day. My singular focus is not just that my patients are going to be healthy and well, I mean, that's core level functioning, but that all the team members around me have a great day today, that they feel supported, they feel like I got their back, they feel like I'm willing to do anything for them. If they feel like that, hopefully, you know, that stuff will come back to me. Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast, where we explore the business and profession of emergency medicine. I'm Leon Edelman, an emergency physician and the founder of Ivy Clinicians. Today, I'm so excited because we have two mentors of mine and many other emergency physicians. They are the one-two punch when it comes to emergency medicine, leadership, entrepreneurship, and leading with the heart. Eugene Gitcheru and Larry Bean are the CEO and president of Aligned Providers, which works to improve the well-being of patients, staff, and team, and the healthcare organizations it serves. Larry and Eugene's vision for Aligned Providers stems from when they were residents at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, one of the busiest ERs in the country, and one that was in serious need of transformation. Here's Larry. We were there at a time when, when it was much less um, functional than it is right now. They were on paper charts and you'd walk into shift and the basket would be full and you'd know in the, in the course of your shift, if you went and saw somebody and put the orders on there, it would not be done in your shift. Like there is no way that all these orders are gonna get filled while you're on your 12 hour shift. You know, sometimes the best thing to do is just get in there and start helping the nurses with the orders. You know what I mean? Or going, making sure, running the waiting room and these people out there 24 hours, making sure they're not dying, you know, that kind of stuff and seeing who you could help. We started talking quite a bit and noticing, I mean, like specifically with Eugene, I noticed, man, when he's on, this place runs a lot better, you know, and I, you know, I'm going to emulate that. I'm going to see what this dude's doing because how come this whole dysfunctional shop, all of a sudden the wheels start to turn when he's on, you know, and people are happier at being at work. Parkland was built into and a surgical ER and a medicine ED. That's it. The only two. And so it was already just by walking in there mm. and walking into silos, right? So if you were, if your shift was going to be yeah. in the surgical ED, that's all you're seeing is surgical patients, right? And you couldn't cross over and go see medicine patients, right? And then they had their whole full-blown um, OB and women's health ED, right? So very, very siloed. So what I think we learned from that is We've got to redo this. This has to be a more of a collaborative effort. But when you're in residency, you don't control any of those. Those are, those are things that are out of your control. So what we started doing is just creating our own microcosm of what our own ED should look like, right? We'd get whoever's working on mm. shift, you'd huddle together, you'd huddle your nurses, you'd huddle your techs. You'd even huddle the EBS folks and just say, okay, this is what we got to deal with. We're all here 12 hours. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing and just get it done. And so I think that was the birthplace of us understanding that in order to get big things done, you've got to work in teams and you've got to be able to kind of execute. And so we started Urgent Cares while we were working um, after we got out of residency. And during that time period, really kind of fine-tuned our craft and what we thought was important to, to make a, a department run and got noticed. It wasn't, we didn't go volunteer to get into leadership. And that's sort of, you know, it, it, kind of snowballed from there. Then they started putting us on bigger and bigger projects. Got it. It seems 
like a big challenge to turn lessons learned from the busiest ER in the country to run a, an urgent care where you're seeing you know, a few patients an hour. How, how, how are you able to, to do that? And, and tell me a little bit more about kind of your philosophy of improving urgent care. Yeah, I think one of the bigger things, and, and Larry can add on to this, one of the things that we've noticed with urgent care, it's, it's, it's like a freestanding ED. This is one of the in few environments. I think one of the, most, the biggest frustrations with emergency physicians is we don't manage the nursing end of things. And so you can have all these things and, and, and have all these great ideas, but if nursing's not on board, then you're going to have problems, right? And, and the problem is in the world that we all live in, the nursing reporting structures towards the hospitals, to nurse director, nurse manager, and the CNO, right? There's no, they really don't report to the physician side of things, but in the urgent care, you're hiring the nurses, you're hiring the office manager, you're controlling it from top to bottom. So you can create processes that work for both teams. Um, Larry, any other thoughts on that? Also building um, a level of trust, right? So, so there's no question having a single reporting structure makes night, it's night and day, but also a level of trust with everyone um, that they understand you're looking out for their best interests. And so it comes down to, you know, we look at first principles or what we consider core values that we operate under. And one of them was, you know, one of the things that how Eugene and I knew, we, and, and actually Javier Caldera, who was with us at the time as well, and one of the ways we knew we were gonna be on this, this journey and it's what I noticed in Eugene as well. I came to work thinking, how terrible is this shift going to be? And the only way to really make it better, I'm going to make sure everybody around me has a great day. It's good philosophy. So you know what I mean? So if I come to work afraid of what I'm about to walk into, but my singular focus is not just that my patients are going to be healthy and well, I mean, that's core level functioning, but that all the team members around me have a great day today, that they feel supported. They feel like I got their back. They feel like I'm willing to do anything for them. And if they get, if they feel like that, hopefully, you know, that stuff will come back to me. You know what I mean? For the most part, it does, you know, not, not always there, there are, I think we all operate in the environment enough to know that there are um, people who are having terrible lives next to us, um, around us, you know, on other specialties, whatever. And you're just kind of in the wake of their carnage at times. And, and that's just, it uh, goes with the job, you know, um, but for the most part, if you're there to lift people up, it, it's infectious. That's been our experience. So I think uh, some of the folks listening who are in emergency medicine will say, oh, that's, that's wonderful that, that you were able to build an aligned team that all kind of funnels up to the same management and the same organizing structure. But I don't work in that world. I, I work in an ER where, <laughs> where things are not aligned. You guys jump back into the ER fray, how were you able to, to bring some of that urgent care ethos, the one team ethos back into emergency medicine? Yeah, and I think that's also, uh, and that's a great question because people ask us that all the time. Well, it's different. Well, remember after we got down with urgent care, we got thrown in feet first into, into being interim medical directors in, at not just at any site, at the worst sites, sites where the hospital's about to terminate. <laughs> So we get thrown in three months at a time, six months at a time. We did that repeatedly. And so you're walking into pure chaos. You know, it's one thing you, you're hired for a job and it's kind of a little bit dysfunctional. You're walking into pure dysfunction. So one of the things that we found out, and it's interesting, before we went back and got our MD MBAs, 
is the things that came naturally to us. Actually, there's there's studies and there's 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 education behind it. Right. So one of our philosophies, which we use at Parkland and Urgent Care, is if you can't control it all, control what you can control. So what we started doing in these mm. situations would build uh, multidisciplinary teams. Right. One of, the, one of the things that we found is when you walk into a highly dysfunctional place, everybody has their guard up. Right. I'm protecting my own space and that don't bother me. Right. So what we do is we go in. We find out kind of what the lay of the land is, and then we gather all the leaders of all the different uh, teams, and we have a monthly meeting and talk about how do we break down these walls. That has actually been very successful for us in building kind of micro teams, and that just kind of bubbles the, up. The first one you got to do when you walk in, you have to get in the hip pocket of, of that nurse manager. You you know what I mean? Like that's where it all starts. Yes. Day one, you're like, whatever I can do to make your life better, man, I'm happy to do it. You just tell me. Tell me what you need. If you start there, then, then the meetings, not not to uh, to further emphasize what he said about the meetings. Eugene will have some meetings. Like we go into places and he, man, that's the first thing he starts doing is we're we're going to be meeting with some people for, you know, your daily, your daily uh, uh, schedule is going to be full for a while. But it's the most important one is the one he brought up. That multidisciplinary meeting, a chance for radiology to vent about how we're ordering this, that, or the other. What little things can we do that makes their life better? I mean, and if you come into it with that mentality, mm-hmm. not, hey, I want it, I want to get this changed, that changed, that changed. If you come into it saying, first thing I'm going to do is figure out how I can make our processes better for each of these service lines, man, you are immediately, they, they want to come to that meeting. They care about that meeting. And they're much more likely to to reciprocate. Yeah. And invariably, um, whenever we leave and months later, when we check in with a place and things have fallen apart, that meeting has been stopped. Invariably, we always. Mm. So people don't realize how strong and how important of a emphasis that that meeting is. Yeah, I think I think you bring up an important point that it, it really is one team and that one team isn't led by the doctors. That one team is led by the nursing director. The, the faster, the faster that, that the, the doctors realize that, the better it's going to be. Amen. Right. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your motivation because you guys are uh, really an impressively motivated pair to, to improve patient care, to deliver service to patients and to people in need. Can you tell me a little bit more about how faith has motivated your journey? Yeah, and that's also been a, a quite a bit of a journey. And so for me personally, when I was in med school, I was always interested in doing much more than just earning money. It was always, there's got to be more, right? So I remember I used to volunteer at the local clinic in med school, and then I met Larry and we were talking and seemed to have very similar interests. And then in 2010, he got a call from a pastor that was part of a Baptist medical missions something uh, or the other, they were going to Armenia. No, they were going to Dominican Republic first. And he went and did his first mission trip in 2010 to Dominican Republic, then came back and then was invited again to go to Armenia. And he asked me, do I want to go? Of course, I was like, that's awesome. And that's where it all started. And so we've been doing mission trips since to him since 2010, for myself since 2011. And we've probably done over 50. Um, We've been all over the place. We've done trips that are completely faith-based attached to a church we've done trips that are non-faith-based we've done trips that in fact we did one of our busiest was with the jewish voice ministries 
<laughs> where they would work you to the bone. I mean, you'd get up at 6 a.m. and you'd be done at 7 or 8 p.m. And then you'd have to fly back and go back to work. So those are really tough trips. And then we've been on, on the other end of the spectrum where you go and it's kind of a mission trip-ish, where you spend an hour or two the rest of the time you're sightseeing at the beach or whatever. So that was a little bit too light. So in 2016, we decided we wanted to try doing uh, mission trips on our version of it, right? Where we're, and again, it's same concepts we're applying. We, we care for the team with the belief that if you care for the team, they'll do the work, right? And so we do four to six trips now uh, a year, uh, Guatemala, Ecuador, and Thailand that we do. And what's interesting, it's purely volunteer work. Um, no one gets paid. Everybody pays their way. Uh, but it's even expanded out into the hospitals that we work in. We get nursing staff that go. We have a devout follower that comes with us, a general trauma surgeon at one of our hospitals. She's with us every single trip. And we, we even wonder how she's able to get that much time off. But we say we're going here. She's with us, right? Um, and there's several of our docs and APPs that go with us all the time. So it's, it's again, it's the same. We don't sit here and it's the same principle, right? We want to make sure that our team is cared for. We are both from a Christian background, but we, we believe that uh, the core of all this is uniting around the idea of that your life's purpose is serving other people, right? So for us, yes, our faith informs that somewhat. I mean, that is the, the core mission if, if you follow that path and, and that belief system. But man, our, our trips, what we do, I mean, Hindu, Muslim, atheist, anybody who, who believes that they're, they were put on this earth or, or, their sense of purpose on this earth is to to serve other people, and that's it. That's what we need. We we're we're together. <laughs> we're aligned. We we're we've got the same idea. And when we get on these trips, it, it what it inspired me, and I think what what brought Eugene down this path as well is the practice of medicine. All we go through in that emergency department daily, all the crap just boils away. And in this in this environment, you're able to just focus on the thing, on you and the patient. And what can I do for this person? And all the other worries and concerns are gone. And it is an amazing feeling. It is knowing that you're, you know, having an impact. And and the other thing that Eugene didn't, I think that to complete one of, he was saying, we don't do one-offs anymore. We are now, when we go on these trips now, mm -hmm. they are continual care. We manage people. We're going to the same places multiple times a year, keeping them the diabetics and meds, keeping track of their their uh, sugars we're doing you know taking care of the hypertensives doing all the we're, we're and we're investing in the communities there's it's a far bigger i mean we're now focused heavily on education and and actually building a school the, the, there, there's a whole story there uh, above and apart from all this where i think our sense of purpose in in this profession and why we our belief of why we ended up in medicine is is being fulfilled in in that work that's great Let's take a break to tell you about our sponsor, Ivy Clinicians. Full disclosure here, I'm Ivy's founder. Both as a practicing physician and ED medical director, navigating the job market felt like going back to the days of classifieds and smoke-filled rooms. Who staffs which ED? I don't know. Who should I contact there? I don't know. What's it like to work there? You get the point. So our team at Ivy created the Zillow of the emergency medicine job market. With Ivy, you can find all 5,549 EDs in the United States, filter them by your preferences, and connect with the right employers 
all for free. Your data is secure with Ivy. You pick which employers can see your profile. Sign up now at ivyclinicians.io. When Ivy connects you with your next emergency medicine job, we will even send you a bottle of champagne and a bag of 321 coffee beans to celebrate. That's ivyclinicians.io. All right, back to the show. And speaking of education, at, at some point you guys decided that you needed an MBA. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, what it, what it came down to, I, I'll be honest with you, I, it, it may be some ego in there. For, for, for me, I, you get tired of, of these guys kind of looking down their nose at you when you're, when you're in business and you're, and you're doing this. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, you're a doctor, but you don't really understand. It's like, okay, dude, let me go learn all the stuff you learned, and then we'll have a, a collaborative conversation. So it just it was just a matter of I think for me as much as anything I I have no problem relying on somebody who's an expert I mean obviously I mean it's emergency medicine right I I have no problems in, even in the world of business relying on somebody whose level of expertise and their area of expertise is different than mine and taking their advice I mean I think it's a wonderful thing to do and I'm not trying to reinvent that but for he and I it was just when we have these conversations we felt like we needed to check the box so that they understood that we are uh, educated in this area as well. So it worked, it's worked out well. It actually gives us credibility in some of these conversations. I think it carves away a lot of, um, you know, may, maybe a lot of uh, time that was invested in, in them, you know, trying to um, talk us through things that they didn't think we understood. Now you walk into mm -hmm. a conversation and they know where you're coming from. So it's, I think it's created an efficiency in our day-to-day -day work, but also, I have to admit, some of it was just, you know, and I, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So ego, maybe a little bit of ego. <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah. No, 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 no. And also, I think there was some people ahead of us that had MBAs that we kind of watched and, and were trying to model around. Plus, I think the other thing that we noticed um, once we were doing all the traveling for going to different sites and implementing all these processes, a lot of that stuff's taught in, the, in, in MBA. So it actually validated when we ended up doing it because we ended up doing the EDDA, all the phases. And then so we said, OK, that's just the clinical operation side of things. And then we would see folks who had MBAs and then we decided, hey, we need to find an MBA course that actually fits. One of the big issues we were having is picking one because there's, some of them can be labor intensive and and they're not they don't work when you're working full time with trying to raise a family. So. We were fortunate enough to find one uh, at the University of Texas at Dallas that mm -hmm. actually worked our schedule. Got it. And one of the things that the MBA that, that I did, the uh, University of Tennessee Physicians Executive MBA, really focused on that you've talked a lot about is building teams and harnessing that, that team energy towards a goal. What would you say you learned at the uh, in the MBA program that allowed you to build stronger teams? Yeah, that's a great question. So the case studies were amazing. And I will tell you, I enjoyed the case studies, but that was really much more about the direction of your company and how you want to lead a company and how you want to build and focus your company and what have you, right? And staying true to vision and what have you. So the case studies I really enjoyed. I learned a lot from, but to, to your question, man, they did an exercise with us um, where you got a chance to see what motivates people. And I can't, I, and I don't know if it was a bunch of psychologists mm. running our, uh, running this section in our program, but it was, I, I don't know what to compare it to. I mean, it was 
um, what's the the Stanford prison, uh, you know, experiment kind of, but something along that lines where you're like, oh man, um, I now I know who you are, buddy. You know, <laughs> like like we had friends in there where we're like, oh, I, true colors are showing. And, and so it was a, I mean, it was fascinating. And so it was the concept for us of, at least for me, um, it was, am I in this for the team or am I in this to for my own self-gratification, right? For my, to build myself up. Am I motivated and oriented toward lifting up the people around me or am I oriented toward um, me becoming more important, better off financially? Um, you know, am I really, you know, I mentioned, am I really here feeding my ego or am I here to lift an entire team? And, and that for me was um, that level of self-reflection and, and reorientation mm. for me, I, I think I got more out of that, that idea and that exercise kind of showing that to me, uh, what it looked like when somebody to see those two different styles and to know what I wanted to emulate. It doesn't mean I'm naturally one way or the other. Um, I just know, you know, I, I have to pause and think, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for the team? I, I don't know that there was anything more valuable than than that. I mean, I'm sure all the didactics and everything else certainly informed my decisions. But, man, I, I don't know. That that meant a lot to me, Eugene. I, I know you know the exercise I'm talking about. It, it was, yeah, it was, that was a game changer. No, it definitely was. One of the things for me that was, is some of the books that they pointed us to read were huge, right? Uh, to me, I still have multiple copies of each. And when people want to get in, involved in leadership, I I bought like four copies of these, so I just kind of mm. hand them out. Some of the books are just huge. Um, start with why, what got you, won't get you there. Five dysfunctions of a team, right? All of those, I think, were just kind of pointing us in the direction. And then the other thing that when you when you're an MBA, you're talking about these big concepts like strategic planning, right? So if you go mm -hmm. in and you're spending days and days and days about talking about strategic plans, so you come out with these great goals and tactics. You can't do these alone, right? Right. If you're trying to change the direction of your company, there's no way you're going to do this on your own. So they give you tools, tricks and tools of how to get people to coalesce around a team or coalesce around a vision. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about mission and vision statements. Do they really mean anything? How do you get people to really coalesce around them? So that's, to me, how I felt kind of made you think about building teams. Got it. And then after business school, you guys started a, a consulting company and a and a a company called Care Culture. Um, speaking of words that can mean many things, culture, I think, is one of those loaded terms that can mean everything or nothing. What were you trying to build at Care Culture and, and what did you end up building? Yeah, so I'll start, and this is, this is a big one because uh, it has a lot of moving parts. So like I said, 2016 was an interesting year for us. It was, we had a lot going on. This is when we started solidifying our permit, our, our we changed our direction on mission trips. This is around the time when Align Providers was getting born. This is around the time we wanted to start doing our own consulting work instead of under somebody else's umbrella. So Care Culture was built as a extension and an avenue for us to do consulting work on our own, right? And to take all the knowledge and experience that we had and, and, and funnel it into one entity. So basically we would go out and, and still doing it to this day where we go in and help hospitals who are struggling mm -hmm. and it's kind of morphing over time initially it was kind of centered around the ed but now we're starting to look at if you really dig in a lot of the issues that happen in the ed are not ed problems yes. right yes. 
but you don't have enough people who are willing to go in and try to look at what's happening in the hospital. For example, there's a hospital that we used to um, consult with and constant issue with boarding, right? And of course, there's going to be hospice issues, going to be ED issues, but that's that. But then we would dig into the hospital and find out that, and it's a big hospital where they, just a simple question from the multidisciplinary meeting that we would have, mm-hmm. we had the director of EVS there, right? So after we had exhausted everything, we're asking the EVS, so tell us how you're cleaning your rooms in the, on the floor. He schedules, I think he had 50 employees, two thirds of those were scheduled from the seven to three shift. Fair enough. So we asked, what time is your average discharge? 5 p.m. So, so you're, you're sitting there. And so we have one third of your employees working during the busiest time of the day. So of course you're never going to get patients discharged from the floor. It's impossible, right? So, so we, in care culture, we started understanding we, if we're going to make a difference in the emergency department, we're going to have to learn what's happening in the hospital. And in order to what's and in order for the hospital to let you into the back end of stuff, you've got to learn how to form relationships with a C-suite, which is mm-hmm. another tricky thing, right? Because we have one angle where ED docs, but you've got to make sure that they understand you're impartial for them to grant you access to the back end. Larry, uh, I would I would say that the the name and the the idea the concept was built around a lot of what we talked about early on today was which is the the idea of can you change an entire institution from one small space? So can we come into an emergency department and affect change throughout an entire institution? And maybe there's some grandiosity around that, you know, the idea of, you know, the, but the name reflects it. I mean, it's, it's, can we take this, this culture of, of caring for each other and caring, you know, have that uh, find its way uh, as an, it in fact become infectious throughout the, the system. Right. And, and so that's, I, you know, through consulting and and what have you. I mean, I think that's um, sort of the the mission we had and and what we I think continue to try and and do. I will say, as with any journey, you take some bumps along the way. You know, you fight some battles that that leave scars, right? So you're you you know we we still like to believe you can. You know, we also know we're much wiser when we walk into places now than we were when that journey started. I maintain that it's, you know, with enough time and the right approach and, and you, you have to align with the C-suites. You have to be, you have to be um, working toward goals that they want achieved. So you have their backing. You can change an institution from the emergency department. You can. I believe it. I think one of the challenges with consulting is that if you think it's hard enough putting two teams together, one of physicians and one of nursing, the consultant isn't part of either team. And so it's, it, it must've been very challenging to, to get buy-in from the insiders. How'd you guys get buy-in? Yeah. You're immediately the enemy when you walk in the door, right? They are at, at best, they think you're there to fire them. You know what I mean? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, because you know, we have to look at it from both sides because we've been part of an institution where our consultant was brought in, right? When we used to work at the busy uh, EDs that we work with. So this is not new. We've, we're on both sides of the coin, right? And I remember the visceral reaction when I had, oh, they're bringing another consultant. Oh, they're going to make all these cuts, right? So you, you, that always in the back of my mind. And then then you fast forward to us walking in. The first few days are always the toughest, right? Everybody's so guarded, right? I think one of the big things that we've noticed is the introduction, right? How the C-suite mm. handles the introduction of the consultant to me is key 
If it's just going to be, hello, here we are first day and there's no pre-warning, it's going to be a bumpy start, right? If there's been communication and we're introduced in a, in a group setting, tends to be a little bit easier because there's a lot of questions that are asked by the leaders of the different groups. So why are you here and the CEO sitting there? I think there's a lot more openness to have to have us come in versus us just being tossed in there, right? When, then, then it's just, it's a lot tougher. Got it. Let's let's jump to your your current your current focus the current uh, part of your journey which is aligned providers I do like that um, seems like the word aligned might be the best single encapsulation of your of your entire career focus tell tell us a little bit more about what aligned is and and uh, what you've been building so this was a group that was uh, is based out of Wyoming uh, founded in two thousand again two thousand sixteen these were the early times and everything was happening. So we had done some consulting there and we got asked to come back and we decided the CEO said, Hey, you know, this is, we want you to come back and do additional consulting. At that point in our career, we had done so many of these consulting engagements. We told her, Hey, look, really, what are we doing? And this, remember now we're mid career, right? And so now we're starting to understand the business of emergency medicine, how all this works. So we told her, you know, We'll come back, but I think it'd be better if we formed a democratic group there, right? Instead of just doing the consulting work, right? So she decided that she wanted us to form a democratic group there. So we we did that. The agreement actually was for us to form a democratic group after five years, and we negotiated down to mm. three, and then the CEO left. And so we said, she's not here, so we'll just do it in one. So we ended up doing <laughs> a democratic group there. So we were initially for the first couple of years, you know, it's just kind of building relationships and, and this, that and the other. One of our big tenets is because we've been part of democratic groups out there, too. And there's different versions. And I don't think any one is right. Um, but our version of a democratic group is if I'm a partner and Larry's not a partner and we're doing a shift together, he and I's pay should be the same. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where we build it. In some some groups, they'll have it. The partner makes a little bit more for a couple of years and then they can, you know, kind of do the sweat equity and then they come sure. in. So we do ours different. Right. And I don't, I don't know if there's a right way, but that's the way we do it. We just believe that because we know everybody said, don't talk about your pay. You know, everybody's talking about their pay. Right. <laughs> just, it's just the way it is. Right. So so we built the group. Um, and then a, a couple of years later, we were asked, we, we, we part of our operating agreement requires our group to get evaluated periodically. And so we had evaluation a couple of years in and we were told, hey, your group's valued at this number. And Larry and I are high fiving. Hey, look what we've done, right? Mitsumo. And then, but the guy tells us, uh, I don't know if you ever sat through evaluation from an outside accountant, but hold on a minute. This is like a four hour discussion. And then, so he builds us up, up until here. Yeah, we're like, whoa, look at this. And then, but uh, we're going to discount you uh, 40%. And we're like, what? First of all, what the hell is a discount? I don't even know what a discount is at that time, right? So he explains that to us and he says, well, here's the deal. You know, if you were any other business, if you only have one client and the client leaves you, you don't have a company. Okay, fair enough. And then you're down to zero. And then we're like, okay, fine. And on top of that, you only have one service line. Okay, fair enough. You're not diversified. And then one of the things we never knew you have no debt. We're like, what? They want to see some sort of debt that you have. So we're like, so we got discounted 40%. And we're like, golly, man. 
So he and I sat back again. We just said, okay, let's talk about this. We've got to fix this. So fast forward. And the cool thing with us is because we're in Wyoming, even though it's a spread out state, word of mouth carries, right? And so we were always fully staffed. In fact, there were periods of time where we were overstaffed. And so we'd get neighboring cities asking if we could help staff during some period here, some period there. So we'd tell our docs, if you want to go do extra shifts there, you can. And so they would go and then they would like the culture of our docs. And all of a sudden you get a call, you want to pick up this contract. So we've just been organically growing and the group has just gotten bigger and bigger. I mean, I think when we first started, we were maybe 16 or 18 docs and APPs. And now we're 60, 70, 80 providers now. Um, and we still have the same model. We don't penalize you if you don't want to be a partner. If you do, after one year, you can become a partner. So it's worked out well for us. Uh, we believe in giving the docs and the APPs some sort of ownership so they can be involved, mm. right? Really want your, it's one of the lessons we learned from one of our mentors some year back, some years back. You've got to get people engaged and involved, right? Inside the hospital. Um, otherwise, you're just a shift filler and it creates, and it's not for everyone, right? But globally, the group has got to have some people that are at least invested in trying to be on committees and stuff. Right. So you can better align with the hospital. And I want to dig in a little bit on the second word in the name. So it's, so we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about how to be aligned. You chose to be aligned providers, not aligned physicians. Can you talk a little bit more about that decision? We spent a lot of time on that one. Uh, and I'm going to have Larry chat. We spent tremendous amount a lot of, of, a lot of angst over there. Yeah. Part of this is you got to understand we're, we're not from Wyoming. This was one of the places we had consulted. One of the things that as we got into that state and started to see that the, the, the chain, I mean, the handcuffs are off. They, 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 there are clinics running out there that have no physician oversight. They can hang out a shingle and have their own urgent care clinic. They can have that. So that is a free range state for APPs. And so, and so for us, it was like, okay, well, this is what we're walking into. And we worked a very long time at, at, at the, at the mothership in Dallas, the Baylor mothership in Dallas and, and heavily used a APPs there. And I was very comfortable having them, uh, the, the practice there, it was wonderful. And so I had no problems with it conceptually at, at, at Cheyenne. But when you started looking at what was happening out in these re more remote areas, for, from our perspective, you, you have two options. You either go out and, you know, hey, I'm going to crusade for, you know, at a governmental level and, and, and I'm going to, you know, try and change the law and I want to do, and I, and God bless the people who, who choose that route. It's just not the route we chose. What we chose, Leon, was to come in and say, we're going to embrace the, the APP model, but we are going to improve upon it. And we are going to provide high levels of oversight when, when these people are out in rural areas. If, if you could get a doc to go work in one of these ultra rural sites, then do it. But if you can't, and the hospital is going to go down, if you charge them what it would cost, and you're going to work with an APP, then that APP is going to have somebody, they're going to feel very comfortable that they're going to have tremendous oversight. And then in the background, what we did was we built a training program for them at the, at the Cheyenne Hospital. And we run uh, an internship or fellowship through there. We run multiple providers a year. They get I mean, they get a high level of, of training. They, I mean, from, you know, multiple procedures, didactics, and um, tremendous oversight uh, seeing patients in that ER. And so our goal, and so the reason we landed on providers is because we realized 
you know, we made a choice somewhere along the way that we were going to try and improve that model instead of fight against it. And so we have included them in the practice. Um, Wyoming is not a corporate practice of medicine state, so they are allowed to have ownership in the practice as well. It's a little steeper hill to buy in, you know, for an APP on their salary. It's a little, but I mean, if you think about it, it's a bigger commitment from them too, right? To commit the, the money to buy in a share is a little bit harder for them. And, and so we have not regretted it, but we know that that is, that there is, <laughs> I don't know, I, we understand that it's, um, that it's loaded, not just the word, but the way we've chosen to do it. But again, I, I, I applaud, I am not, a, you know, people who, who want to work to, um, at the legislative level to create a, a safer practice model, I'm, I'm all for it. We just decided to do it at the level of the practice. How's it, how's it working out? How's the line doing? It's, it's gone very, very well. I mean, there's been some challenges with growth, uh, especially when you get these spurts of growth. But at our rural sites, those are going very, very well. Sometimes when you have too many sites, we don't have enough APPs going through the internship. So you got to make sure that you have very experienced people. But we get them to work at our main facility so they can be supervised by the docs, making sure that they're, they're practicing correctly. That's great. So this has been a fantastic conversation, really inspiring stuff that the journey that you've been uh, been through from starting with the uh, the busiest hospital in the country to realizing that you can really improve care in lots of different settings from urgent care to freestandings to CMG run uh, ERs to rural Wyoming. So I want to ask a few concluding uh, questions. One question I always ask is, um, what book or movie would you recommend to our audience? All right. So, you know, for somebody who's walking the path and wanting to get into leadership, um, would absolutely, the Marshall Goldsmith book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I just feel like that is one of the most, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, forced, it forced introspection, um, if you're capable of it. It gives you an opportunity to to walk a path without... You don't have to go out and get the 360s done on yourself. You can sit there and, and look at that book and, and read through it and see the areas where you need to improve. You can find yourself in there. And uh, and so I I think for, from a leadership perspective, uh, that's what I you know would say. Uh, from a business um, perspective, I don't know, Barbarians at the Gate is one of the uh, I it's, it's one of my favorite uh, all time business books just to just to see how the game is played up above. I found that to be just just very engaging and fascinating. So, yeah, no, mine for sure is, and that's even before he said it. It's yeah, what got you won't get you there. Only because if you really, especially it applies to physicians so much because we spend so many years focused on one thing and being re re that you get this positive reinforcement, right? Of, of you do it this way, you can act the way you want to act, but you're a doctor, right? Hey, that's it, right? This book completely flips that, that whole thing around saying, just because you got this far, if you're trying to get to the next level, you're going to have to check yourself and check your ego and check all these things. And it's a hard book to read. Um, if you really are honest with yourself, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of behaviors that you've got to change. They just are. And one of those is that team building, right? Technically when, when you're training the ED, what are you told? You're the captain of the ship, right? You're the captain of the captain. But yeah, kind of, sort of, but you got to bring people in, right? You've got to be able to work with everybody. You got to be able to work with EBS. You got to work with everybody. So I think to me that has been the most impactful book from a professional uh, development. Um, got it. 
And if folks are inspired and potentially want to learn more about aligned providers, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I think email is fine. I think you can post our email on there. I, I don't even care if you give our cell phones. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. Um, well, I, for me, the more, the more from a, from a, I look at it from two days. If would love if people would like to join our trips or just kind of see what we're doing on the mission side. Perfect. Mm. I think that's great. I think that's an exciting thing to have people come from different states with different backgrounds. I think that would be great. Um, if they would just want to learn about our company, definitely email, text. Um, for me, that's fine. I don't know about Larry. Just willing to give your cell phone out to the world. And, and remind us the name of, of your uh, mission company. It's called Great Commission Outreach. And the website is greatcommissionoutreach.org. And the um, emergency medicine and hospitalist group is called Aligned Providers. It's Aligned. So Aligned Providers are a management company. And then we have Aligned Providers Wyoming. That's all that book of business in the mountain states. And our emails are basically lawrence.bean at alignedproviders.com and eugene.gachero at alignedproviders.com. Well, Larry and, and Eugene, this has been fantastic, inspiring, thought-provoking. I'm so glad we were able to get you on, on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast. If you have feedback for us or just have some thoughts on this episode, connect with us on social media. We're at EM Workforce. And don't forget to subscribe now to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or at emergencymedicineworkforce.com. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Leon Edelman, and if you're in the emergency medicine trenches, we appreciate all the meaningful work you do every day.